welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos, wishing you a happy new year. 2024 is going to be one of the biggest years in the history of our sport. We'll explain more about that in future episodes. I'll, I'll dive into it a little bit today, but before we do that, by the way, it's great to be back with you. I had a cracking vacation, which I'll tell you all about. A reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. It's 2024. You need a good companion like the Soccer OG here in podcast form and also available on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Go there. There will be videos coming down thick and fast from January to December. We have a lot to cover, a lot of trophies to hand out. And a lot of ground to cover with, of course, the 2026 World Cup on the horizon. This week, in our first episode, coming in strong in the business end, we'll be joined by MLS and USMNT insider Tom Bogert, one of the busiest men in the sport right now as we are in the throes of the MLS offseason. It is the silly season, players coming and goings, a lot of interesting stories for all those that feel MLS is not developing an emergency. I got some news for you. Tom will be here to tell you all about it. Real interesting conversation about where the market is headed, which clubs are starting to take it, and how overall it is shaping up. Coming up later in Check Complete, we will look at the loss of two massive names in the world of soccer. It does feel like we're losing all the great ones. Mario Zagallo, an incredible figure in the Brazilian game, and Franz Beckenbauer, without question, you don't even say arguably, the greatest center back ever in the history of the game. I will tell you a few stories about them, what I know. I'm not going to pretend I know too much because I wasn't in their era. That's a little pet peeve of mine. When people speak about players, they probably weren't around and seeing the historical side. Certainly, I can understand, but I will get into that and check complete as we try our best to honor those two massive figures in the world of soccer, football, you name it. Soccer OG, it is great to be back. Time now for the rundown. You are bearing witness to the first Soccer OG of 2024. I uh, spent the back end of 2023 and the first few days in 2024 vacationing in Italy. Flew into London for a couple days and then made our way to Rome. Florence, Tuscany. I know I'm not the first American to do it. So many have done it. And then I ended up my trip in Milan, where I used to be the talk of the town in my fashion modeling days. I mean, I couldn't even walk the streets. I got off the train at the Centrale station and I was mobbed. Okay, that is not true. That is not true. There's some inaccuracy there, but it was good to be there in the shadows of the Duomo. Incredible cities in Italy as you all know, because we have to have more tourism there. There's no real, there's a direct flight to Rome. There should be a direct flight to Florence with the amount of Americans are there. Tourism everywhere. Um, it is, yeah, it's it, it's massive. You go, obviously Rome, Florence, you could go to Venice. Milan is not a big tourist destination, but worthwhile, worthwhile a day or two with some of the things you can see, including the Last Supper, which remains. I didn't see that. I saw that when I was a kid in my modeling days. I was in Rome and Florence in my formative years with my family. I don't remember Florence too much. By the way, zipped around Tuscany as best I could. Visits to Siena. Siena was always my dad's favorite city. Uh, It's like Florence, but a lot smaller. And there's a competition between these two. But the human scale of Siena is so appealing. And it made it, just like my dad, my favorite, San Gimignano. Uh, the old castle there on the top of the hill, and Pisa, you have to go. I mean, Pisa, you see the tower, but you can also see um, the, was it, the neoclassical uh, cathedral, which uh, stands up against all the great houses of worship. I was talking to someone, you know, my son was there, and just to see, you know, the Vatican and, you know, St. Peter's, but all these incredible things that you see, and to walk into the Sistine Chapel and smell the mustiness in there, you can't take photos, but to see the 20-foot-tall David by Michelangelo at the Accademia Museum in Florence. But I got to say, you know, you go up to the the Duomo in Florence, and the Brunelleschi painted the dome, and we went all the way to the top, and you see that, and I'm like, that was my favorite. 
the masterpiece of Brunelleschi. This is not an art form. I don't know anything about art. And I'm sure many of you have seen it before, so you know what I'm talking about it. Turn on Rick Steves on PBS. He's always in Florence. The guy loves the place. But it was very cool. Great to be home. Jet lag was a killer. Worse than I've ever experienced. I, I, was, I go to bed and I, I wake up two hours later. I couldn't sleep. And then I'd sleep all day. I think I'm through it now. I, five days after I came back. Still not there yet. Still not 100%. So now getting back into watching football. Enough about the vacation, right? Enough about it. But share your thoughts about your Italian trips on Max Bretto Sports on my Twitter account or uh, on YouTube in the comment section of one of the videos. You'll find a way. So come back to uh, what we're doing here in the soccer world and uh, saw some FA Cup action over the weekend. We've had this discussion about cup competitions. And you know, the FA Cup is one of the reasons I fell in love with the sport when I was coming in at Fox Soccer. The FA Cup fixtures rolled around and had my undivided attention. I can remember some of the big surprise results over the years that uh, lured you in in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s. Still incredible. Still well attended in some places. But when I... The quality, I mean, the round three, because again, we get hyped up. And, you know, round three is where you want to see the good stuff because round four and round five, you're down to a lot of Premier League teams. Over the last few years, that's what's really happened. We've had, what was the year? It was like, was it Portsmouth? Was it Birmingham? It was like two non-Premier League teams in the final. I got to find that out because I don't think that, that'll never happen again. Um, but the, I, I there wasn't, I watched... Arsenal-Liverpool, it felt like a practice game. It really was in slow motion. The big surprise was Maidstone, which was like the sixth division of soccer, which is way down there, beating Stevenage. So Stevenage was the big Goliath that went down. Stevenage in the third division. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. So uh, (laughs) there wasn't too much magic. And I don't think we're going to... There will be some magic from time to time. But... I think the scope of the Premier League and how much we invest in it is dwarfing the FA Cup. The FA Cup is the people's trophy, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but these Premier League teams look leggy. You know, they're obviously focused on the other, uh, the uh, the task at hand. Uh, they still emerge through the tournament each year. Uh, was it like, here we go. Was it Portsmouth beat Cardiff in 2008? I don't think we've had too many non-Premier League teams make a final since. I'd have to check on that, but it's very rare. So, and that's fine. And the FA Cup, as it goes on, will build up. I've had the, got to see a couple semifinals in person on some trips to London in recent years. But the Premier League's gone so big because it used to be the FA Cup and the top divisions kind of paralleled, but the Premier League has gone so massive that you notice it and you miss it. I think we all missed it. So I still watch the FA Cup. I enjoy it, but it's it's not the same. So hopefully we get a little bit of magic here and there because uh, that obviously is the big part of it. You know, like I think they had a, a Friday game for the masses. It was Crystal Palace and somebody else, and it was so bad. So it's a chance to see some of the lower divisions. We'll see what happens. So we have a big show here. We're going to talk to Tom Bogert about the MLS off-season, the silly season. There's a lot there, so stick around for that. Check complete. We will talk about the loss of two giants of the game, Franz Beckenbauer and Mario Zagallo. But coming up this week, and we'll talk more about it on my YouTube channel, about how 2024 is going to be, you know, arguably the biggest year, non-World Cup year, but it could be even feel bigger than a World Cup year because you have the Gold Cup, expanded gold, so pardon me, The Copa America, expanded Copa America with the CONCACAF teams. The European Championships to be held in Germany, that's going to be sick. Those are going to be almost parallel to each other. And coming up in the week, that this next week, you have the Asian Cup, which will be held in Qatar. So Qatar, who just held a World Cup, get to host it again. So optically, that's going to be really interesting. And then also next week in the Ivory Coast, the Cote d'Ivoire, will be the African Cup of Nations. AFCON, I believe, is on B-In for our American audience. And the Asian Cup's going to be on, is it Peacock? Which is really exciting. 
because that's the kind of competition you had to look around. You couldn't see it. Games will be early in the morning, so you probably can't see everything. But I'm curious to see the teams that emerge. Obviously, Asia had a good World Cup, it being in Qatar. Qatar didn't do that well. Australia made the round of 16. Japan made that incredible run, should have gone further than they did after they won a group. You have Saudi Arabia who beat Argentina. So this Asian Cup has all the likes. There's a Palestine team, which is going to be fun to see what they're able to do. So we're going to tune into that. I am. I'm trying to watch 100 games between the Asian Cup, AFCON, Copa America. There's the Oceania Cup. All due respect, I used to live in Australia. I don't think I'll be able to watch much of that. I'll try. I don't even know where to watch it, to be honest. The Euros, you got to watch all of that. I think there's like 60 games in the Euros. I'll see as like 50-some games. I'll try as much. And then they have the Olympics, which I'll watch USA play. I don't think I'll watch more than that. The Olympics is just not a good tournament. I'll argue anybody about that that get excited at the Olympics. I will challenge people who say they love the Olympic soccer tournament, and I will guarantee you they don't watch it, except for bits and pieces. It's just not... A, the, the people who can run soccer tournaments, the big federations, do a great job. Uh, the IOC does not, so uh, I will watch USA a few games, but uh, that's where I'll take a little soccer diet, and that'll be coming up as well. But these the African Cup of Nation and the Asian uh, Cup will be running very close to each other. The Euros and Copa America in June, the same way. So when you put all that together, and our good friends in Oceania and the Olympics. You have six massive competitions to wet your whistle here. And this is important, certainly from a USA perspective, as we look to see if Greg Berhalter and the USMNT can make some headway. I did a prediction, if you could see on my YouTube page, uh, that I thought the US have a good shot to make a semifinal. They're going to have to beat Brazil. <laughs> but playing at home, I think there's a possibility to do it. Uh, it could They could fall on their face, but, you know, I think... The history shows when the big tournaments turn up and they're here in the U.S. or even at the World Cup in Qatar, the U.S. were able to answer the bell by and large. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to there. We'll talk more about it once the games start rolling in, but it's a great time. I mean, January is going to come in hot. Um, all the leagues will come back here and we'll be off and running. And then we get ready for the ones of the Americas uh, over the summer. It is time for the business end. My guest, Tom Bogert of The Athletic, uh, the insider of both MLS and USMNT. We'll talk about this, uh, where the uh, summer window is going, or where the winter window is going, and how it sets up things in the summertime. You're listening to The Soccer OG. We are back here. Uh, great to be back on our first year of our first show of 2024. So we go in big with the guests and there's no one bigger right now than Tom Bogert. And the reason I say that is because it's the first account I check every morning because we're in the throes of the MLS offseason. Tom is the MLS and USMNT insider for The Athletic. Also, you'll hear him on Extra Time and that is growing. He's got his own YouTube channel too, Tom. And you look like you're, 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 you're well treading above water. And I know in reality, it can't be the case. How do you do it? <laughs> it's a healthy dose of anxiety. Uh, that, that that's what kind of keeps driving you to not miss stuff. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's good. It's good to have some some good relationships around the league, and and that keeps it going because it ends up that like you know there's some there's some like transactional relationships. I get that. That's going to be part of it. But there's a lot of people who I like consider genuine friends. So it's like an extension of just talking to your friends. So that that helps. That's awesome. And I I, I talked to a lot of folks about the league, and one of the things that I enjoy covering is is people are inherently good folks. I mean, can't talk about yeah. everyone. And I don't know. How, I mean, <laughs> I, I base it a little bit on my experiences at ESPN, where in other leagues it was the same, but sometimes because of yeah. maybe the size and scope of an NFL or NBA, a lot of roadblocks and so forth. <laughs> but generally, we, we would say MLS is pretty open to all of this. Yeah, yeah, and again, like like you said, it depends. That there's there's assholes everywhere you go, right? Like so that, that this is no exception. But for the most part, there's a lot of a lot of like minded, uh, good good headed folks around here. So you know, hopefully, right. long well, may continue, but we'll see. Let's actually let's actually pivot here. Five biggest a holes in MLS. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer that. Am I on the list? No, of course not. No chance. <laughs> Never. No Never, chance. Never, Max. I know someone, someone probably I'm on someone's list, but it's, we, we're here in the throes. And uh, look, it's, it, uh, I, I wanted to get you on. I don't want to talk about so much specific 
transfer um, destinations or, or rumors or what have you, but just the the marketplace in general. I know we started and it wasn't like there were going to be big adjustments from Don Garber as, as he ended the last year and mentioned that there's not going to be much movement on on uh, DPs or the salary cap, which we kind of knew and we wait maybe for CBA. And we, I mean, I think we all hope that there will be movement, but as, as you prepared for this, this marketplace, which is the main one for MLS because the off season, yeah. we know the summer's coming and uh, things could set up there, but what were your expectations for what you were going to see here in January and February's clubs retool for 2024? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with, like, the roster rule stuff. Like, yeah, I wasn't expecting much, and I, I was disappointed that there, like, there was a couple, like, small things that were discussed, like decoupling the U22 initiative and, and DPs in the sense that every team can have three U22s and three DPs, no matter how, like, currently you need one of your DPs to be a young DP or um, uh, under Max Tam or whatever. Like, simplify it. Everybody gets three and three. You don't have any hoops to jump through. I thought that was an obvious one that they were going to pass, and they didn't. There was another one where... They kind of kicked it around of like, okay, this isn't a new DP spot, but instead of Max Tam being at 1.7, you can pay one person a super Max Tam. Like the NBA has like super Max, and like you can pay them like 2 million or whatever, right? Like um, that didn't happen. Uh, so those are a couple small tweaks I was hoping for that didn't. I will say from talking to people that are in those board of governors meetings, having these conversations and arguments and having these votes, 2025 is what I keep on being told. We're thinking of big, big changes. Like, that's where all of our focus is going. And again, a couple of people I'm talking to were, were like, look, and that's not to give us a pass. Like, he's, he's like, I was arguing for, you know, some small rule changes right now. But he's like, just rest assured, we are talking about new things for the future. We're not just kind of sitting on it and doing nothing. Again, we'll see if, uh, if the more ambitious owners get their way or not and, and what, what does or does not change going into 2025. But that's at least a little bit of a positive breadcrumb moving forward. And then in terms of of the kind of micro, the day-to-day for MLS clubs, yeah, like, it's cyclical in that, like, there are some teams that spend more money than others. And, and this offseason comes with Chicago Fire looking to add two DPs if they can, um, the LA Galaxy looking to add two DPs, Portland at least one if not two. So there's a lot of, like, big spending teams, and Seattle as well looking to add one. Um so I had uh, my expectation was like, all right, like it, these are these are kind of the big boys that, that are looking for DPs the same way. Again, like Miami was chasing Messi and everything else. Right. Like and when Atlanta signed Tiago Almada, it's like, oh, like, what are they going to do with that spot? So this this winter had a couple of like the bigger spending teams that had these big needs. So I was expecting some fireworks. And, and again, nothing's happened with Chicago yet, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I think that I think they're going to take some swings And Chicago has been big spenders. They just may have not spent it in the past <laughs> the right way. I, no. I want, you mentioned, you know, how may, and, and there's this one expression when I saw it on Twitter a thousand times, take the training wheels off, which is absurd <laughs> because, you know, it's a new, it, it's a new buzzword. New oh buzzword. my gosh. And, uh, and, you know, MLS has done that quite a long time ago and it is where we're here. <laughs> it's a still a growing league, but there are teams, as you mentioned with ambition that, or clubs that with ambition that want to spend. And there's clubs that haven't are, uh, I was the really interesting one is Colorado is one of those that we earmark. They yeah. don't have ambition, but this season is changing. Do you, th- do you believe that those clubs are feeling that pressure? Maybe we've seen it a little bit more with other clubs last year or the year before where I don't know if it's a keeping up with the Joneses or by necessity, um, you don't want to be left behind. Is that a phenomenon that maybe we're seeing more and more of? Yeah, I, 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 tr- I believe that's true. And like, again, that, that doesn't mean that you need to, spend 16 million on, on transfers like Atlanta do all the time, right? Like you don't need to completely match them, but like, if you're not, if, if the Colorado Rapids aren't like, if, if they couldn't come up with the money to buy George Mihailovic, like you're absolutely going to get left behind, right? Like that was a very fair deal. I think he's completely worth it. It's a good deal. Like well done by the Rapids. They even have a four and a half million purchase option in Rafael Navarro. They're center forward. So like, that's not something that the Rapids would have done three, four years ago. No, I thought the Navarro years. thing, they would have said, okay, thanks for the, the loan, but they're, yeah. they're bringing the baby back. That's great. He's got another six months on the loan. So we'll see. We'll see if he, if he stays okay. or not. But we'll like, see. at least, at least that they're, they're really trying. And like Kansas city was a good example. They, before they signed Alan Polito, I think their total, like every single transfer they've ever made in terms of real money added up to like 2 million, like a million and a half in their entire history. And then you look around and there's a bunch of teams like splash of money. And then ownership was like, okay, here's 10 million. Go get Alan Polito, right? Like, so that doesn't mean that they're going to do that every single year. But teams, I think, realize, all right, like in this era of MLS, like 
we can't just try to find players in the draft. We can't just do that. Like, it, it, we don't need to match the top, top spenders, but we, ha- we can't be that far adrift at the bottom. We look at the the the, the big targets, and you know that's what people want to see, and it's, that's the ones that come with the big transfer fees, and they're out there, and whether they happen or not, um, I don't think takes away from the fact that you that does takes away from the ambition of these clubs that are going out mm-hmm. for some big South American ones, and we've heard the names like Pedro de la Vega, uh, the Christian Medina move, I think from Inter Miami, which is um, yeah uh, the Danish number ten who you talked about whose name escapes me, Gronbeek. <laughs> that's it that that pipeline how when you look at the big the big targets that european clubs would most likely be approaching to see if they could bring them in but maybe they do a pit stop or maybe mls is mm-hmm. a, a longer term destination is how fluid is that pipeline in mls where you see these clubs going we're going for the top tier yeah much bigger than it used to be like like Think of Evander going to Portland. He was leading the Europa League in assists for Michelin. Every time in history, that player has gone to a top five league in Europe. And, you know, maybe it's a mid-table team. Like, instead, he's coming to MLS. He still has aspirations to go to Europe or maybe to one of the bigger Brazilian teams again in the future. But he knew that, like, hey, this isn't this doesn't end my career. This doesn't take me off the radar of any of these big teams because teams are scouting this league. Teams have recognized that the quality has gotten better. Look, it still needs to continue to improve and everything. But that, like, all right, like, if I have 10 goals and 10 assists here, scouts won't look at it and be like, well, in reality, that's like two and a half goals and two and a half assists in a real league, right? Like, so, Cucho Hernandez came from Watford. He, they got relegated. That's a player who stays in the Premier League or goes to Italy or Spain, went to Columbus. He's going to go back to Europe at some point. His play in Columbus got him into the Colombian national team. Again, that is not something that we could say in the past. Thiago Mata made a World Cup squad while being in MLS. Like, that's not nothing. Like, the, the, like... Gronbeek, that, that's another great example. He's somebody, and European teams are trying to sign him, but the fact that Charlotte even has an opportunity to sign him, and like maybe it's not a huge percentage that it's going to happen because it's a very difficult deal to get done, and a lot of like good European teams that, that are at least considering it. So the fact that these players are considering these moves and knowing that, hey, like Gronbeek probably doesn't want to spend the next 15 years here. He probably wants to continue developing in his career, getting to the top of whatever he can reach, but he knows if I go to Charlotte, I'm going to get paid well, I'm going to Play well, they're going to build a team around me, and then in three or four years, well, one or two years, whatever happens, I can still go back to Europe at a higher level. Like, I, like that's the most fascinating um, trend for me, and the most important trend, maybe outside of the academy system getting so much better in in the last decade. Yeah, you know, I read a couple of those guys that the clubs are holding off because obviously the European teams will come in during mm-hmm. the summer and perhaps offer a bigger deal. So that, that handcuffs MLS or. I'll ask you that. Does it handcuff MLS so much? Because I imagine this time would be maybe the right time for some players, but I can understand why some clubs will wait to see if these European teams will have a better offer. But yeah, again, they have to be cautious because that better offer may not be there when exactly. June or July. So how do, what is the dynamic you think for MLS clubs doing their main business this time of the year? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely an interesting balance. There are some, like, there's a, there's a forward for Internacional in Brazil. His name's Mauricio. I know that there's three MLS teams who, like, Charlotte bid for him. Seattle had some talks, and, and the Galaxy were interested as well. And from the people I've spoke with is that Internacional made it pretty clear, we don't want to sell now because we think that there's going to be more European interest in the summer, and then whether we sell them him to you or to Europe, it's going to be a bigger fee because there's more teams that are interested. So, like, there's that, but then, like, the other side of it is, like, the South American leagues are, are run on this kind of calendar. So it's yeah. the off season in, in Argentina and, and Brazil, right? Like, so it's not completely hamstrung. For me, it's the, the more like defined one is the outgoings, right? Like Brandon Vasquez, he like Bruce and Munchen-Gladbach really wanted to sign him in the summer. I don't blame Cincy whatsoever for saying like, we want to win a trophy, right? But like, it's unfortunate for Vasquez. He's getting his move to, to Rayados and he's going to get paid very, very well at Monterrey. Like that's very good for him. But like, Munchen Gladbach wasn't on the table this winter just because like they they couldn't wait around for six months without a starting center forward and they had to spend their budget to bring in another player, right? Like, so I understand that and that makes it difficult case by case basis. The younger players, it's not as much of a problem for because teams in Europe will either be okay with like, all right, we'll do the deal now and he can stay on loan at, at your club until the end of the MLS season or all right, whatever, like we'll wait until the winter. Like he's not, he's not going to be like a, a first choice starter at, at one of these bigger clubs, but like, when you want to sign a player like Tiago Almada and, and like the kind of feedback I was getting, like Atlanta are expecting him to be here to the summer because like 
how many teams are going to be looking to like spend 30 million on a player in, in January and bring them in and, and like throw them into the lineup, right? Like they think it's just more likely for that to happen in the summer. And then it'll be the same thing as last year. It's really difficult to <laughs> let go of your best player in halfway through the season, particularly if you're playing well. That's tough for Tiago Almada, who I'm sure is eager yeah. to make that move. And then I, I, I would imagine Atlanta could very well be in a top three or four position in the East. Mm. And they were like, what can you do? It's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but it's also, it could be, um infuriating or frustrating <laughs> not infuriating that's too strong a word but frustrating that's in many fair. ways as well yeah. you mentioned brandon uh vasquez and uh you know k cal now to achieve us which you know these are two moves you know i know the the, the fans of usmnt who want to see their players play at the top european leagues want to see these guys go over there and test them and i i there's no doubt that playing in yeah. the bundesliga and, and even the end of divisi is probably going to prepare them a little bit better but i wouldn't poo-poo Liga Emekis, and certainly not Monterrey or Chivas. I think these are really exciting moves for both these guys because Rayados dropped a lot. They can spend a lot generally. They're one of those mm -hmm. super clubs in Mexico. And Chivas is Chivas, a very rare move for an American player with Mexican heritage yep. going over there. And I'm eager to see it. And I think it's going to be a high-pressure situation for him because the Mexican media is going to be on him. When you see those moves, maybe we can editorialize a little bit, not so much about the transfer market, uh, when you see those things cross the line there, um, what, is, what does Tom Bogert think when you see that that's the move for the next two guys that we valued very highly in Major League Soccer? Yeah, um, I think it's exciting, I guess, for all parties, honestly. And look, I, um, I understand the argument for, like, hey, if, if, you know, if you can go to Europe, whatever, like, go to high, put yourself to the highest level, of course. Like, that's, that's totally fair. The pushback here for both of these players, what was the other offer? I can tell you right now, like since he didn't accept an offer from a European team, the only offer that was on the table was Middlesbrough. And like that, maybe that would have been fine. Maybe going to the championship. I think that they're like mid-table in the championship right now, pushing like that could have been good. I can promise you they're not going to pay salary anywhere near what Monterey is paying Brandon Vasquez. So like we all like to think like we want to like, I don't know, man. It's tough to criticize somebody for take getting the money. money. Again, like, I, I would take the money. I can't be good. Yeah, I like, take the money all day. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, like, and, and, like, there's a lot of people and like myself, like even, even if I was thinking the other way around, I'd be like, dude, like when you're in that situation, you don't, you don't really know, man. And I like Monterey's still a very high level. I get, I get the fear of like, maybe it's a, a lateral move in like Liga MX and, and MLS. Like I get it. Like if you're leaving MLS, you'd rather see him go to Europe rather than, you know, leave the league. So now we don't get to watch him every single week <laughs> playing here. Um, but again, like, it's not like they turned down Mucham Gladbach this winter, right? Like, it's not like he did that. It's not like he chose Saudi over, you know, a Europa League team or something. So that's the the Brandon Vasquez situation. And so that's why, like, I like it for him. And, like, let's be honest, man. Like, he's probably the fourth or fifth choice of the national team pool already. Like, there are more realists. Like, like, I don't know. I don't think that you should cost yourself 50% on salary hoping that you can be the fourth striker. And, like, again, that that maybe that makes me wired with, like, a loser mentality, right, or something. But, like, I get it, man. Like, I can't fault him. No, in, the case of Kate, in the case of Kate Cowell, the only other offer right now is AEK Athens. Chivas is better than AEK Athens. Yes. The top but you'll get, you'll get argument about that. You'll get argument from some of those accounts. Yeah. Just, just because <laughs> I agree with doesn't you. make it better. And, like, it's, it's like, Kate Cal, and, and I'll tell you that this is all, like, it's a false premise. AEK Athens was not offering $4 million. Like, I thought that San Jose should have uh, agreed to deal with Bologna last summer. Bologna were not offering $4 million either. Like, this is... A great deal for San Jose. It's good for Cade Calgan. He's going to get a pay raise. He's going to go to a new environment. He's going to test himself, continue to develop. He's 20, man, or 21, whatever he is. Like, he's got a lot of career left. And, and whether, hell, even if he just stays in Mexico for the next decade, cool. Good for you, man. Like, that's, that's, that's fine. But this doesn't mean that he can't continue to develop or, or go abroad. And again, like, last point as, I, as I'm rambling here, I agree. Like, he should have been at Bologna right now. Like, San Jose should have accepted the offer, but it worked out for them in the end and that they're getting more money. And, and again, like Kate is, is content with his move. Um, but like, again, it's not like he, they, they had, Hey, we have two offers on the table. They're the same. You pick, right? Like a lot of these are a false premise. Like, would you rather him say, you know what? No, I'm going to wait for another European team to come. No, what if that never happens? And he just stays in San Jose another few years. He clearly needed to refresh and, and, and again, continue his development somewhere else. It was time for everybody. Again, these things come in cycles. I love it for him. I love it for him, and this is at the top of my list when I think about it. Because, you know, we've seen him struggle with his technical skills. Yeah. But in Liga MX, and MLS doesn't really have this problem, they lack, and I talked to a lot of folks in the league, they lack those top-tier athletes. 
mm-hmm. that can separate and get vertical. That's him. So I have a feeling yeah. he has a really good shot to shine there. And what that would do for his career and what a great story would be phenomenal. So it's certainly worth the squeeze when you talk about it. And you mentioned it, Tom, and there's a misconception because I think a lot of people automatically think you go to Europe. Let's take the Premier League out of it. Even and a couple of the top right around it. No one's dropping this kind of money. It's it's very, you know, it's. It's pretty run of the mill. It's not nothing to scoff at, but it's like two, three, four million dollar deals aren't being handed out to players, certainly not from the exterior. And and like one, Sevilla won the Europa League last year. They would have struggled to match Jesus Ferreira's current salary at FC Dallas. And FC Dallas, we view as one of the cheap teams in the league, right? Like, it's crazy to think about. Like, there, there are some players that, like, again, Miles Robinson, I think. I know, I know that he's getting, even with restrictions of free agency, he's getting more now than he would have at PSV. If, if like, again, I don't know if an official offer is on the table or not for his interest. Like, like Aaron Long in free agency last year. Like, yeah, there were teams that were interested, but, like, on, like, a lower deal. Like, some players are more valuable here, and, and like, that's okay. Do you think that'll... Uh, I, I do, you, do you believe that we'll continue to see those players are in that position where they can get that next deal, will stay here? I think it's great for the league because we associate, we can recognize these American players. Certainly in the case of Mihalovic, you spend a little time in Europe and came back. That gives mm-hmm. him some equity. And certainly the ones like Miles Robinson who have built here yeah. that we know, I, that's valuable to the league because it, it's, it's a lot of comings and goings if you have some sort of stability. Uh, I sign me up for that, even though it's not Messi or Suarez right. or these big top tier players or Paulo Dybala, whose contract was mentioned on some social media handles. <laughs> these are guys that are valuable to the league because they're Amer- they're North American and they're recognizable and they're reliable in this league. And and good quality players, right? Like you need both. You you need to be exporting players and you need to be keeping quality. And like I think like somebody like Miles Robinson is a good example because he's in his prime. He's going to be. Uh, like, or maybe not because the, the splitting the votes between him and Miazga, he's one of the best defenders in the league. And like, he'd be up there for defender of the year. Or it'd also be cool if a U.S. national team player went abroad, right? Like, like either situation I think is good with, with me. I mean, it's probably better for MLS in and of itself that he's here. Probably would have been better, better for the national team if he left. But like, I still think this could be mutually beneficial. And, and oh, by the way, he signed a one-year plus a one-year option. Like, he could go ahead and do this again in a year if he wants to, right? Like, so again, like all these things don't, end a career that they, they don't they don't have to be forever decisions hell look at saudi arabia how many reports have we seen of dudes who are ready to come back after five six months like things um, can yeah. always change like I, yeah right like and, and a lot of the things i've gotten to is like there was a player who was in free agency a couple years ago who would have been like like uh, manchester united were considering signing him as like a third choice goalkeeper you're not even going to make the bench and you're not even going to start the league cup games and but he was going to make more money and it was like he's like i don't really want to sit on the bench but it's like it's like in the NBA, get the contract extension. They can always trade you, right? Like get the money and then, Hey, I'm actually unhappy being on the bench here. Can you, can you loan me to MLS? And I still get to keep my salary. Like that's a thing that's like, that's like the, the, what's the opposite of idealistic. Like that, that's the cynical side of the business, right? Like it, it's, it, it's a business at the end of the day and people are trying to maximize their earnings. Nobody wants to li- like I, that. This is going to be too strong. Most people I talk to say people don't, <laughs> players don't want to live in Saudi Arabia. No, like you know, players' wives, players' time. wives don't want to live in Saudi Arabia, which is a huge issue. Yeah. I think that they're realizing yeah. once they land there. Yeah, and like, but but if you're getting paid four times the money, like then you'll consider it. Like that changes the math. Like so, I don't know, man. Like all these, all the context comes into it. Like it's just and hell, same thing with MLS. Like there's players that are here that wouldn't be getting the same money that they would be at a mid-table French team or or you know insert any random team there and like. They made the a business decision more so than anything else to come here. So like it goes both ways, right? Like it's just like, I gotta know like that 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 is such an integral part to all this. And again, it's not this isn't like the most thoughtful thing to say. Like yeah, money's important. Like but like I think sometimes we get, myself included gets caught up of like oh that makes a lot of sense on paper or why wouldn't he do this? It's like well that team isn't offering him as much. It's like oh like why is Kellen Acosta considering Chicago Fire? Oh because they're desperate and they're probably gonna pay him the most if he ends up going there, right? Like so that's how these things work. Very well said. And I get these mysterious WhatsApp from Saudi Arabia journalists. And I'm sure you're getting a bunch of those. But I'm like, no, I got nothing. Uh, my, my favorite is when people ask me for phone numbers. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Why are you asking me for phone numbers? Give me a break. Do your own job.
I had somebody, somebody asked for to be picked up at the airport. I can't do nothing. I was on WhatsApp. Right. I'm like, no. I, 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 I was, anyway, uh, and, and I didn't know which airport it was. So, uh, real quick, <laughs> yeah, Uber's great, fella. I'm not going to, I didn't, I did not, I did not correspond. But hey, is there, <laughs> that's true. That's like, I felt right. bad for a moment. I go, should I get out there? I don't know what airport it is, though, or what terminal, yada, yada. Uh, is there is there something that kind of excited you of all the moves that you saw? I mean, I know I saw some a tweet about the Rapids. I think that's really cool too, and yeah, it's, it's good. Is there anything that tops that you think so far? And or and let me. I know I shouldn't double prong it, but what do you think the next couple of weeks are going to look? Are we? Is it going to? Is it going to snowball here with what we're we're going to hear from these players? Oh, you're nodding. Yes, a- absolutely. Like this is like again. There's still uh, five or six weeks until the season starts, but. Preseason is opening up this week, and now teams are like now you start to get the urgency of like the the yeah we can just wait that deal's not good enough, and then you get to preseason, and the head coach comes into your office and says we suck, we need that winger that we were talking about. I don't care how much he costs, go get him right. Like so, I think that you're going to see more and more of that. Um, and then in terms of other moves, like again, I, I really like what Colorado's done. Um, I like again, it's it's easy to get better from when you're the worst team in the conference, but they've gotten a whole lot better this winter, and again, maybe I'll look like an idiot in in eight months, more of an idiot than usual in eight months when they're like in twelfth again. But I, I do think that they're going to be a playoff team this year and, you know, barring what wow. else, you know, other teams do. Um, another one that I really liked was Emil Forsberg going to the Red Bulls. I still think he's got a lot left in the tank. Yeah. I think Coming in early, too. Well. Coming in early, yes. setting his yes. intentions. Yeah. Like, day one of preseason. Like, he's on his way literally right now. I think he just puts something up, like, on, on a plane to come for day one of preseason. Um, and this show, like, the Red Bulls two years ago, they had one single player over the age of 25 start a game. It was Aaron Long, and then Aaron Long left. And, like, they've gotten too far into the U23 Red Bull Global model where they were only signing U23 players. Like, they brought in Corey Burke in free agency last year, and I was like, oh, my God, like, they signed a player who's 29? Like, that's, that's incredible. Like, Emil Forsberg, this isn't somebody that they're going to sell on in the future. Maybe this contract doesn't look great in four years, but it shows that they're, okay, like, we give a shit about winning right now. Like, we want, like, this is the only thing that matters right now in this deal is not return on investment. It's not a sell on. It's not this or whatever. It's this player is going to help this team win. And again, I think that he's going to be a really, really good fit in this league, but I think it's almost even more important to show like, okay, for all the criticisms that have come around the Red Bulls correctly in the last few years, like, all right, like now they're going to try to play like a big boy team again and be a priority for Red Bull global. And we'll see how it goes. Didn't even talk about inner Miami and they're, I mean, this is going to be the must watch. <laughs> By the way, boy, it- I- God, God. No, I was gonna say I, I saw Orlando. They bring in Lodeiro. They re-sign Facundo yeah. Torres. I go, Florida's gonna be fun, man. Be Those fun, games man. are gonna be because Inter are, are finding ways and not being discouraged by these big transfer deals. Obviously, Luis Suarez. And I think people forget Luis Suarez was lights out in in Brazil. <laughs> what like the best forward in Brazil? Like again, he doesn't have the same like defensive metrics as he used to, of course, because his age. But it was like he was in the 99th percentile of like goals, expected goals. Goals plus assists, shot create. It was like everything that you want from a center forward. He's like off the charts in Brazil. It's like, yeah, yeah, I think he'll be fine. And it's okay if he doesn't play 34 games. It's okay. Like he'll, he'll be playing a lot of games and he'll be scoring goals. Yeah, he's not playing 34 games. But what exciting and, and stuff. Champions League. He's going to get, that's going to be an eye opener. But I, I, look, <laughs> Brazil was supposed to be an eye opener after spending so much time in Europe and he just Good went point. right into it. So uh, I love Suarez. Tom, you got me even more excited for the upcoming season. Thanks for carving out some time with me. Uh, where do we get the the YouTube show? Uh, just at Tom Bogart on YouTube. At Tom Bogart to get all the latest. <laughs> Start your mornings with Tom Bogart and his social. And, and, and not to mention all the young DPs that you were mentioning. You saw Micah Burton. But this is fantastic stuff. Yep. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of players to look forward to in 2024 in Major League Soccer. Tom Bogart in and out of the business end. We will be back with Check Complete. We talk about the uh, losing some more of the, the great ones here in the, our wonderful sport of soccer. Time now for Check Complete. This past week, we lost two giants of the game. Mario Zagallo, viewed as the, uh, the architect of modern football in Brazil, due to organ failure at the age of 92, and... More natural causes in the loss of Franz Beckenbauer, a name that everyone knows, whether you're a soccer fan or not. The age of 78, and you know, obviously, it's a, a a name we would have liked to have have a lot longer than that. It, this is part of a 
process of so many of these giants of the game being lost over the last few years. It was a few years since Johan Cruyff uh, passed away. I think it was 2016. But just in recent years, Maradona, Pele, and now Franz Beckenbauer. I mean, the, the one tragic one there is Maradona, who died at the age, I think, of 60. Um, he should still be here. But that older generation um, really fulfilled this incredible stretch and in passing the baton on to the next group, which would have included Maradona and Michel Platini. And, you know, it's a small list. Zinedine Zidane and then moving on to Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. These are important figures for our sport. This is where we gravitate towards these stars, these revolutionaries that are able to make us look at the sport differently. But even more back then, you know, it's a, it's a short list when we think of these names, right? Um, Pele, Cruyff, Maradona, Beckenbauer, Di Stefano. Who else do we put in there? I talked to a lot of my British friends. They want Bobby Moore, and I'm not sure we can do that. Or George Best, I think, is a potential. But uh, when you look at how you know his career kind of fizzled out because of blows that he applied to his career... It's a very short list, so when we lose one, it's pretty seismic, at least to that level. I mean, Pele, Maradona, Beckenbauer, Cruyff, these are people that just changed the sport. And in the case of Beckenbauer, you know, changed how we view Germany. You know, you're coming out of World War II, and no one wants any part of that country. And then West Germany, East Germany, he played for the West German a national team. Uh, you look at his importance in the German uh, narrative, or how we uh, internally how Germans look at important people that I they can identify with and look for guidance. And it's a sportsman, certainly in the case of Franz Beckenbauer. I'll talk about Mario Zagallo a little bit because there are some. Uh, they're connected here because we lost them both over the last few days. But there is some connection here as well when you think these are two of just three individuals to play, win a World Cup as a player and as a coach. And Didier Deschamps is the other. It's an incredible list, but Mario Zagallo was the first to do it. Um, I will focus here on Franz Beckenbauer. And I didn't really want to do this because I've seen so many people speak out a turn on, on TV when we lost Pele and talking in, you know, it's 18, 19 year old kids. I don't know how old they are. And they're talking about like they were there at the Estelio Azteca watching this. And it really, that bugs me to no end. That's a real pet peeve of mine. And it's okay when we look at these from a historical nature. But, you know, some of these folks, I, it, that's got to stop. And this is, not, this is not an editorial about that. But, and I, I tread lightly about this because I don't want to sound like I sat there and watched it. You know, obviously re these guys play because I didn't. My... Uh, in my knowledge of Franz Beckenbauer is the movie Victory, some on the New York Cosmos, which was still before my time. Even though I am the OG, I'm not that OG. You know, that's part of the story of Franz Beckenbauer. But we start with the fact that he changed uh, how we looked at Germans, this sportsman. And that was huge. And then becoming a Bayern Munich player, we look at Bayern Munich in its immensity. And it wasn't that way. They didn't even used to be the biggest club in Germany. I mean, in Munich. So he obviously made that a huge brand. So the folks in Bayern are eternally grateful. Uh, to look at the way he played and the modern footballing style and how defenders were pretty, pretty, you know, static. Center backs, you collect, you clear. Um, it wasn't a position where you're oohed and odd. And keep in mind, Franz Beckenbauer scored over 100 goals. So this was a very different way uh, to be a center back. He moved from the center midfield, and obviously that assisted him in bringing that skill set as a center back. The libero position, which, you know, is what it is. It's, it's a romantic saying, and the fact that the Germans use it for their footballing structure was, you know, some irony there, but it is a position that he was showing that he could able pass, that he could set players up, that he could dribble around players as a center back, which was unheard of prior. And it still is today. I mean, most center backs fill that, fit that bill. What they do, a certain role. And you have those few outliers that are so good that maybe they could play a different position. 
but they want to play center back. You know, Franco Baresi comes to mind, uh, Paolo Maldini. Uh, Rio Ferdinand, I, was, I would say, was a guy like that as well who I got to see. And more and more center backs popping in there. And if you have one of these players like this, uh, you know, David Alaba, some of the guys at Real Madrid that, you know, are able to do so many things as a center back, needlessly hit that long ball like they're a center midfielder. Play in the back by themselves as a back three. Uh, a lot of responsibility. And he kind of opened the door for that. Um, oh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, who followed suit, who came to MLS. Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Lothar Mateus. Uh, this was kind of the way he looked at the, the modern footballing game. So the game is still indebted to Franz Beckenbauer. And I remember when I was playing games, I would see Beckenbauer jerseys all the time from kids who probably didn't know who he was. Or you'd be playing on the f- a field somewhere and someone would be in defensive role and they'd hit a pass over and say, Beckenbauer! Not knowing what it, yeah, kind of knowing what it meant, but it was cool. And we always do these best 11s. <laughs> you know, when they, it's, 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 you know, the best 11s ever to play. And it's hard. And you'd always put Beckenbauer there without question, in the center back. And sometimes you would cheat and be able to bring in another attacker and say, I'm going to play with a back three because Beckenbauer was so good. I'll put him by the in the back as a back three. Now I can bring in Messi to play along Maradona, yada, yada, yada. And then it's a mess. But Beckenbauer allowed you to have some artistic freedom when you created your best 11 of all time. So uh, it is uh, an incredible career. Uh, we did lose him a little too early. And it just leaves a huge, you know, a, a shadow for Bayern and German football and for the world's game. And, you know, here in New York is the New York Cosmos. There's a connection to him. And uh, Franz Beckenbauer will, will certainly be remembered fondly for the many, many years to come because of the scope that he had, not just for football, but his, for cultural reasons, for national reasons within Germany. A quick thought about Mario Zagallo, because when you look at what he did, uh, I don't have a Mario Zagallo shirt. He Brazil, I played the U.S., and I think it was like 2003 or four. No, it was actually earlier. So Brazil had won four World Cups at the time, and some fans were heckling him. You know, he's in his older years and going, hey, Zagallo, Brazil, da, da, da. And he's like, he hears it, and he kind of ignores it. And I'm just sitting back seeing it. He's like, what's Mario Zagallo? And then he gets his finger, without even acknowledging these fans, just points at his shirt at the four stars that were there. And they would win a World Cup in 2002. And he has been involved in all of them. By the way, Beckenbauer with World Cups won it in 74, was it? And then made the final in 66 in 1970. And keep in mind, the 70s, uh, just based on what I've seen on these you know, World Cup videos, that's when the World Cup really arrived. It was in color. And we got to see these countries um, for uh, these players because you talk to folks back then, even in the 80s, if you're in England, you watched the Premier League, you had no idea what happened. You had no idea what Pele was doing or Franz Beckenbauer. Same in Germany. It was a very um, internalized situation. You, it wasn't a global game we, where we see everything now which was such a blessing. We're so lucky that we get to see everything. Like I talked about earlier, I could turn on my channel and go from the African Cup of Nations to the Asian Cup of Nations with a flick. Summertime, I can go from Copa America to the Euros without hesitation. It wasn't like that. So, you know, the legend of Pele wasn't heard in Europe because he was playing at Santos. And Franz Beckenbauer, slowly but surely. Uh, and then the World Cups kind of changed all that. So that was really important uh, that group of World Cups, which have made the World Cup such a massive entity that it is today. Mario Zagallo. I told you my Mario Zagallo story. I'm glad I had one at least. Won two World Cups as a player, 58-62. Won it as a coach in 1970. This is incredible. He's had a hand in all the World Cups Brazil's ever, all five of them. He was an assistant in 94 when they won in the United States. And then he was a special advisor in 2002 when they won it again in Korea and Japan. So pretty remarkable, the 
the width and breadth of the influence that Mario Zagallo had. He was, as a player, he really changed the way they played into his liking. He was almost a coach on the on the field. He was a left winger. He was a number 10, but he said, I could have more influence as a number 11, so he became that. And then as a player, he was, I think, always was meant to be a coach. Uh, I was seeing some images about um, his, his, uh, the final, his, his final re- being laid to rest there in Brazil, and you could see how important he is, and I think Brazilians will always remember that. We don't hear his name as much as you hear Pele or Garincha or Socrates, or in this case, Franz Beckenbauer. But Mario Zagallo, I think it's good to spend some time reading up on him. I suggest you pull up some articles and see what he's able to do. It's going to blow your mind. Franz Beckenbauer, we know, without question, that was a guy who had all the influence. But this is the way it is, right? We, we, we have these guys. We, we don't want to lose them. But at some point, like all of us, we, we move on. And uh, the, the best part that you can share about it is they leave so much influence so much know-how that they've passed on to coaches and players over the years, and that remains until someone else comes up with a new idea on how to advance the sport. And that's what's the beautiful thing about it is. I hope I did that justice. I know I didn't, but uh, I, I always kind of hold my breath when I do, and I know I leave a lot of important dates and information out. But I try to meet with, from the heart. I try not to script it too much. That's what the Soccer OG does, uh, for better or worse. And I hope that's why I enjoy our program, the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the entire Soccer OG podcast library where you get all your podcasts. We'll be back with regularity here in 2024. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We'll have videos coming out uh, multiple times during the weeks as we get ready for these big competitions here in 2024. Happy New Year to everyone. To my Italian friends, buon anno. I said that many times. Sta imparando italiano. I tried. I've already forgotten all I've learned. And until we talk to you again next time, Placido Domingo.